Welcome to Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's online sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us sermons. We'd love to have you join us for our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road, Sherwood, Arkansas. My name is Nick Schroeder. I'm the student pastor here uh, for the 6th through 12th grade. Um, uh, my bride, Brandy, and I and our family have been here since Easter of 2006, and I've been on staff now for going on seven years, which sometimes it feels like a lot longer, sometimes it feels like it was just yesterday. So, um, such is life. Um, this morning, we're here to recognize our graduating students and highlight our student ministry. And what we're about to do is something that we do every year. Um, it's imp- I think it's important that we do this um, because it, it lets you see how many are involved in the lives of our students. Um, Paul sets forth a principle of generational discipleship in 2 Timothy 2, uh, verses 1 and 2. Um, and it's a reminder that it's something that we should take seriously as a church. Um, so as you just heard, Romans 12 being read... And that's where we're going to spend time this morning. Um, Every week, I I write out my message, and and typically, um, I try to keep it to about 15 minutes, and knowing that I'm going to go over that. So on paper, it's today is 13 minutes, so we'll see how close we get. Um, So this message this morning is not just for our graduating students, but it's for all of us in here. And... uh, as our seniors are graduating and stepping into this new season, um, it's going to be important for them to be reminded of, but it's also important for us to be reminded of our responsibilities and our role as a congregation when we're not just launching students or raising students up, but also with each other and encouraging one another. Um, If you've been walking this path of faith for any length of time, you know that it's challenging. It's hard. We face so many different things in the world that draws us away um, or can draw us away if we're not careful. And so as I was preparing for this morning, I went through Romans 12 and made notes of, of some of the, the key things that I saw in it. And you're going to get the Cliff Notes version of it because I want to make sure that we move through pretty quickly. Um, but also... Um, These five things are important. And so from Romans first, we're called to know God. So instructions and encouragement is to know God. Um, You can't know God if you're not actively pursuing him. The same way we get to know friends and we ask questions, we uh, read. I mean, we don't read friends, but we dive into scripture. We look for answers. We ask the questions. Our students uh, in, in one student ministry, uh, recently we just wrapped up a, a series of big questions where students submitted questions that they had about faith and God and like, what does all this mean? And so from January until this past Wednesday, we went through a, a big bulk of those questions and talked about a whole range of things, but, but their curiosity is piqued when they're given the opportunity to express that. When they're encouraged to ask the questions in a, in, a, in a way that's not just safe, but truthful, 
And so knowing God does that, when we're seeking understanding, we're looking to his word to do that. Uh, leading up to this point in Romans, the, the author has set the stage of what the mercies of God and talked about salvation in and through, what salvation in and through Christ means. It's, it's why they matter. As Paul says, presenting your bodies, your whole person is the implication, not just your minds and not just the checkbox or not just the showing up on Sunday morning or going to life group. It's your whole person. And we're called to pre- present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. Uh, Ephesians 2. Ephesians is probably one of my favorite books and one that I've, I've probably spent the most time in. But Ephesians 2 in verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This, this word dead here in, in that first verse is nekros in Greek. And nekros means non-viable, decaying. And that's where we were in our sins. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It's this mercy that's been afforded to each and every one of us as we seek Christ and as we recognize Christ crucified and resurrected for us. Knowing God should be the catalyst for everything that we do. It's not just for Sunday mornings or 15 minutes before life group when you forgot to prepare for people coming over or forgot to look over the lesson. But knowing God's not all of it. Um, Number two, so when we know God, we're supposed to live transformed. Living transformed means living differently. And it's rejecting what the world throws at us. It's rejecting the status quo and living for the purpose of knowing God and reflecting him. It's one thing to just know, but it's another thing to do. In the introduction for the New City Catechism, we went through part of this with some of our students. Um, It opens with two questions, and, and these questions are both in the Westminster and the Heidelberg Catechism. It says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Then the second question, what is your only comfort in life and death? And that answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That that should be what transforms us. That's where we go when we know God, we live that out. And you can't live to glorify God and enjoy the world. You can't look like the world and call yourself a Christ follower. The Greek text translates conformed uh, as conformed to or model myself on. And then transformed means to change from. And so that's what we're called to do. We're, We're called to not look like the world, not model our life on what the world is. Proverbs 3 
Starting in verse five, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Then in Proverbs 16, verse nine, it says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And through prayer and studying God's word, meditating and reflecting on it, we get to do that. And this brings us to the next part. So if we're to know God, and in knowing God, we're to live transformed, then we're called to be in community. We see that all throughout scripture, that we are called to be in community. And living in community as believers, again, is something that Paul references often. It's how we grow and how we mature. It's how we live to honor God. To live in community means that we're moving on a path together toward a common goal or common perspective. And it doesn't mean that we're the same. In fact, it means that we're all different. We're all equipped by God with different gifts, abilities to use and honor to the, uh, and to honor the Lord. It would drive me crazy if everybody were like me. It would drive my wife crazy too. And we see this in Romans 12, verses four through six, that being in community means that we're active in the community with one another. Being in community means that we're contributing to the goods of another. Being in community also means that we stand up for what is right by setting the example of what strived holiness looks like. And I say strived because none of us reach that pinnacle of holiness this side of eternity. But being in community also includes those that aren't of like mind. It means putting ourselves out there, having conversations with people who don't think like us. Being in this community of believers and a community in the world should make us want to emulate Christ, look more like him. And so if we're, we're called to um, know God and live transformed and be in community, then we should also be striving to love well. And loving well doesn't mean like, doesn't always mean that we agree on everything. It doesn't mean that we just do things to appease one another. It means that sometimes we speak hard truths, call out sin. It means sometimes we show up when we don't want to. Can you imagine if we lived in a world where we all loved our neighbor like ourselves? Or like our family, the healthy side, not the dysfunctional side. Can you imagine what it would look like if we were trying to outdo one another in honor? Where we went out of our way to show hospitality to meet the needs of others. And I'm not saying that we don't do that. I think that we do that so wonderfully. Right after the tornadoes hit, we saw this in a big way. Um, Because nothing unifies a community 
more than disaster or tragedy. Um, I went to one area, uh, went to a couple areas in the same day. And in both places, miles apart from each other, I saw very similar situations of people driving the streets and offering to come and cut trees down or uh, cut up trees or bringing gas to people who were doing the work. And in other places, I, I saw people working side by side with strangers. And one thing that I noticed is what didn't matter was race or ethnicity or socioeconomic backgrounds. There was a common goal that we were all working towards. And there was no side-eye judging or um, refusal to engage in conversations. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of Christ's body. But as I was thinking about that, <clears throat> I also thought about, like, we face disaster every day. There are literally people spending in eternity in hell because they don't know Jesus. And it may be that they're too afraid to ask, and I'll admit, sometimes I'm just too stubborn or prideful to step out of my, my little holy huddle to have a conversation, to show them love, because it's uncomfortable. Paul writes, to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I can't even be bothered sometimes to put myself out there to be persecuted. Jesus said in Matthew 5, to love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And one commentator wrote this, he says, keep praying in the afflictions and persecutions of life. Members of the body are to support one another. Pride is a great sin and humility is a great virtue. First Peter 5, 5 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I think that we serve a God who is abundantly able to pour out grace. I mean, I look at that in my own life, what he's done for me that I didn't deserve. And we see all around the world Christians suffer persecution. We see all around the world of people dying for their faith. And our normal response, or my normal response, is to retaliate. But Christians are called to serve and minister God's grace to a lost and hostile world. And if Jesus is our model, if, if he's the one who we emulate, then we should be doing the same. As much as it is possible, we're to live at peace with everyone. And God is sovereign. The, the God who is sovereign, who converted even Paul, who persecuted his church, is a reminder that God is the judge and the administrator of wrath, not us. We get to display God's grace. We get to love well. We get to conquer evil with good. Which brings me kind of to the last thing and, and kind of bringing it full circle. It's stay the course. And this is for all of us. We're called to endure, persevere, keep going. And sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes we don't want to. But we're still called to do it. 
G.K. Chesterton wrote this. He says, how can we contrive to be at once astonished at the world and yet at home in it? Our verse for one student ministry is Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. And I have to flip it. I've got it memorized, but I don't trust my memory when I'm up here. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And how beautiful of a picture would the church be if we followed that outwardly every day? I'm going to pray and then my wife is going to come up here and offer some encouragement. Um, Father, we thank you for this morning that we get to come to you. We get to open your word together. We get to be challenged by it. But Lord, we thank you most of all for what you've done for us so that, so that we know this grace and this mercy. Help us to look like you. And Father, as we encourage these students and, and encourage these seniors, Father, help them to see that. Help them to take it with them. Help us to stand alongside of them as they face the realities of this world in a new light. God, we love you so much. We thank you for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.